welcome to Educationally Speaking. My name is Sarah Davis, and I'm a communication specialist with Oakland Schools and the host of this podcast. The goal of Educationally Speaking is to focus on important topics related to education that affects students, parents, teachers, and administrators. When the pandemic hit, in-person learning stopped on a dime, and school districts quickly set up online learning opportunities for students. It wasn't an easy switch, but most students and staff were able to make the transition. And while that worked as a temporary solution for most families, there were many who were left in a lurch. For those with children who fall in the special populations category, the change from in-person to virtual learning simply didn't work, as many of those students require face-to-face -face interaction for learning to occur. Luckily, many of our local educators and consultants stepped up and when everyone else was getting behind a computer screen, they masked up, grabbed their equipment and curriculum and headed to their students' homes, the local park, wherever it was necessary to make sure these children didn't get left behind and still got the learning they deserve. Here to talk with us about all the ways in which Oakland County Special Populations teams engaged with their students this past year are Janet Hamlin and Kristen Strong, both augmentative and alternative communication consultants for Oakland Schools, Sarah Stargart, an Oakland Schools teacher consultant for the blind and visually impaired, and Jeanette DeFrank, a paraprofessional who supports a student with visual impairment for South Lyon Community Schools. Welcome to all of you and thank you for being on the podcast. Janet and Kristen, we'll start with you. Can you explain what your job entails as augmentative and alternative communication consultants? Yes, I can. Um, we provide support and training for teachers, speech and language pathologists, parents, anyone working with students who have what we call complex communication needs, which are students who have difficulty using speech to communicate and they need another way to communicate. Um, our role is mostly providing these services to the adults who serve the children in the local districts, although we do work in the classrooms and uh, work with students directly sometimes. And we have about 1,300 students between five of us AAC consultants. And we're really lucky in Oakland County that Oakland Schools loans the communication systems to districts to use with students. And that's not true of every um, district in Michigan. And um, we provide everything from, you know, no tech, paper-based communication books, all the way up to super high tech communication systems. And um, the biggest part of our job is to help teachers and speech pathologists, parents, um, to uh, use the communication systems in the classroom so that that student has, is able to communicate throughout the day. Okay, so Kristen, since your job is helping students who cannot communicate verbally or who need assistance in doing so, virtual learning is obviously a no-go. So what are some things that you had to do right off the bat to ensure that these students continued to learn? One of the things that we realized was possible was that we could do some things virtually, um, but none of us had ever done it before. So as a team, we had to teach ourselves how to use Zoom, how to run an online lesson. We watched a lot of um, 
webinars and things right in the very beginning to train ourselves how to do that. And then we had to, we got together and ran virtual sessions with our speech pathologists and teachers where we could support each other and exchange ideas and talk about what are you using. And um, so we did that every week from the shutdown to just so that we could all learn what to do. The other challenge is that we needed a way to mirror the student's communication system over a virtual platform. So we had to literally make materials. We had to make sure that teachers had um, access to software that they needed to do that. Um, so there was a huge learning curve, but it was a really, um, it, it was an exciting and creative time. And we, we got a lot done and um, our teachers did a really great job providing services, even when we were completely shut down and couldn't see students face to face. Absolutely. Thank you for that, uh, Kristen. Sarah, can you discuss your role as a teacher consultant for the blind and visually impaired? There are 15 of us teacher consultants for the visually impaired and orientation and mobility specialists that support approximately 310 students that are blind or visually impaired throughout Oakland County. So we provide either direct or consultative service to students ages zero through 26. And our direct service consists of traveling to the student's school and working one-on-one -on -one to teach them things such as how to read and write braille, how to use a wide variety of assistive technology. We teach them independent living skills like cooking, cleaning, and laundry. We work with self-advocacy skills, which is how to talk about your vision impairment. We work on travel skills and cane skills. The consultative service looks a little different. It consists of us facilitating the inclusion of the student in all the facets of their educational environment. So that includes working directly with their classroom teachers regularly to ensure that everything they're teaching is accessible to a visually impaired child. That means all of the teachers board work, all of their group work, all their handouts, their textbooks, the experiments they do, that all of those are provided in a way that our students can access them and that they're meaningful to our students. It also includes working with like the PE teacher and the art teacher and the speech and language pathologist, the OT, and the early on team that goes into the home and works with the birth to three population and their family. And then the last thing we do is that we conduct evaluations for any student who's suspected of having a visual impairment, and we determine if that vision is impacting their learning. All right. And like Janet and Kristen, obviously students who are blind and visually impaired cannot learn virtually. So what are some things that you and the other consultants had to start doing to ensure learning for these children continued? Yeah, you're correct. There's certain things that just can't be explained or addressed virtually, especially to someone who has a vision impairment. And since blindness and low vision are considered low incidence, the technology they use can be incredibly specialized. Many times the parent doesn't know how to use the technology, particularly at a level that they're able to troubleshoot it. Or you might need to know Braille to be able to use that technology, which is not the case for many of our parents. So we would meet students in parking lots or parks and have them bring their technology so we could help them with the issues they're having. Or we might need to teach them how to use the specific technology now to access this new type of instruction. These platforms such as Zoom and Google Meet, they weren't really being used regularly before the pandemic. So accessing them with assistive technology was really new to our students. So you might have seen any number of teacher consultants in the parking lot with the student, the parent, sometimes a sibling running around, 
we're all trying to get a Wi-Fi signal. We really had to think outside of the box and be creative to figure out ways to support the students and the families while we're still ensuring that everybody is safe. So luckily with our students that are Braille users, we have an extra level of support from their paraprofessionals. Paraprofessionals played a huge role in bridging the gap between in-person learning and virtual learning for our students who are visually impaired. Right, and that brings us to Jeanette, who is at the district level experiencing many of the same adjustments as our consultants. Uh, Jeanette, can you first explain what it is you do for South Lyon Community Schools and what are some issues you encountered? Like you said, I'm a paraeducator. Uh, I'm a VI paraeducator, um, which means I work with students uh, with visual impairments. Right now, I work one-on-one uh, -on -one with an elementary uh, age student who's in Gen Ed. Uh, she's totally blind. So that means she uses uh, Braille for reading, writing. Uh, pretty much all of her, her written communication is, is only Braille. She does have some different ways to write. Uh, so there is some electronics, but there's also just some old fashioned Braille writers that we use. Uh, my job is to make her classwork accessible to her. That could mean uh, making Braille packets accessible, uh, working with her on her Braille note, which is like, like I was saying, the electronics. It's like a, a Braille computer, which is what she uses a lot to read and write and to communicate with the teacher because uh, she's able to send Word documents that way to the teacher. Uh, we spend a lot of time with math, working one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, I also work very closely with the uh, TC, her TC, which is what Sarah does. Uh, one of Sarah's colleagues I work very closely with. So with the pandemic happening so fast, and of course, none of us being prepared for it, uh, we had to do everything very quickly. So the first challenge was just getting all that equipment we needed uh, from school to home uh, and getting any materials to the student and not knowing how long we were going to be out. Could have been a week, could have been a month. We didn't. We had no idea, of course, at that time. So knowing what to supply the student with and ourselves was a challenge for sure. But how many materials were going to be taught? So that was the other thing. We didn't, the teachers had no idea yet what they were teaching. Uh, we didn't know what materials uh, were, were gonna be introduced to the student. So that was a big challenge for us. Right, and so that kind of you know touches on our next question, which is a key part of assisting these students is obviously you need the material to do that. But as we can all recall, the pandemic effectively stopped the making and delivering of many things. So can you talk a little bit about how you ensured students still had access to the items they needed? Janet, I think you had something to add to this part. Yes, I do. Um, we as consultants rely heavily on our materials center. The Oakland Schools Materials Center is where all of the communication systems that we use are prepped and sent out. And when the pandemic happened, it basically stopped all shipping from our material center because they had no place to really ship it to because typically it would be shipped to the local district. So we had a bit of a panic there and we really had to think about this. And so it became basically, we had to pick up the materials for our students at our material center make arrangements with usually the speech and language pathologist or the teacher in the district to meet somewhere so that we could drop it off. We also 
drop things off on people's porches. Um, I had some equipment dropped off on my porch. We had to just kind of like find a place that would work good for all of us, which was very difficult at times to coordinate. And everyone had a different level of comfort about this piece of it too. So that just added a little more, I think, to the, um, the whole thing. You know, I, I just think uh, we got really good also though at sharing the resources we could electronically it kind of made us step up our game with some of those support materials that, you know, we would be able to share with them electronically. So yeah, we did a lot of traveling. I think I put a lot more miles on my car than I ever have in all of my years at Oakland schools. So, but it did work out and, and we managed to, to make sure that our kids got the communication systems that they needed put in place. Excellent. And Sarah, did you have something to contribute as well? I do. Um, kind of like Janet was saying, we were kind of like the Uber Eats of materials. <laughs> if you're usually impaired, you need to have your hands on things to learn. You can't just sit in front of a screen that you likely can't see. So we were making tons of tactile materials, um, braille materials, and dropping them off on porches. So we not only prepared these materials for our own lessons that we were gonna do with students, but we also had to create materials to support what the classroom teachers were doing or what the art teacher was doing or what the music teacher was doing. So we're making all these things and we're Ubering around to different people's houses. And then for our low vision students, we had to supply an extra level of technology support because the students needed a large monitor to be able to see the Zoom session that was happening but they also needed a device to be able to do their work on because most of our, our low vision students use technology to complete their work. So they needed this extra level. So we were dropping off monitors and laptops and iPads on porches, and then also trying to support the parents with how to set up and connect this equipment. And Jeanette, there is something that you wanted to add as well? Uh, yeah, so a lot like Sarah was saying, uh, our students definitely visually with uh, visual impairments or my student in, in her case uh, being blind she has to have her hands on things the computer screen does not work it, it obviously you can hear somebody and you can still communicate but you can't do work or see anything that's going on i had so many things stuff my whole family room was was filled with computers printers i have a braille printer um, just all the materials, everything you need for math. So like math manipulatives, different um, books. Braille books are probably, I don't know, three, four, five times the size of a regular book. So if you have a chapter book, it could be maybe four or five volumes of a book. So just space taking everything and to not know what you need to. So, uh, but once the, the teachers uh, had decided what they were gonna do, they ended up putting out packets for the kids once a week. Some of the kids were able to access them online. If they couldn't access the packet online, uh, they would be able to go to the school and pick it up. Uh, I just would make that packet then uh, accessible for her in Braille. I would print it out in Braille, drop it off at her house once a week, then I would do a uh, print copy for her parents so they knew exactly what her accessible copy looked like, which is a lot of times different than uh, what the classroom copy would look like. 
make a copy of the Word document for the TC as well as for the uh, teacher. So we were all literally on the same page, knowing what we were looking at and being able to work with her weekly, um, sometimes two or three times a week we would have meetings and talk about uh, and walk her through her packets, whether it was math or whatever portion of the packet she was doing. Right, and that brings us to another key aspect in all of this, which was working with the parents of the students. So prior to the pandemic, yes, of course, you worked with the parents and they were all kept aware of the curriculum and the goals of the learning you were instilling in their children. But for the most part, you all were the ones implementing the lessons. However, during the pandemic, that changed because the families were all of a sudden, everyone's at home. And so everyone is involved in the learning process. And a lot of that meant first training the parents on how to use some of the special populations equipment. Can each of you talk a little bit about that new challenge? Kristen, do you wanna start us off? Yeah, sure. Um, so the very first week um, after we shut down, we had sent the, the schools were sending all the devices home with the kids in their backpacks. And I wanna say probably five people called me to say that the family had locked up the inadvertently locked up because we use a lot of iPads. So they had inadvertently locked up the, the iPads. So they were not working. I was on the phone with them, talking them through how to unlock it and get it working again. They needed a lot of technical support. And, um, and, and also they just, a lot of the families hadn't really used the devices at home. They knew that they were being used at school. They might've used them a little bit at home on the weekend, but um, they weren't really sure how to go about that. And so we ended up creating our department. We created some videos for parents, instructional videos of, first of all, how to not have the iPad get locked. <laughs> that was in the first video um, and how to take care of it and, and some general information about how it was used. And then the second one was, here's how to use this communication system in your home, in your day-to-day -day life. So some of those things that in the back of our you know, minds, we wanted to do those someday, um, Sunday was now, and we had to get those things done and out to families. Um, we put them on YouTube because most families know what YouTube is, and it's very accessible to anybody, and um, it was really helpful for them. And, and we actually, silver lining, a lot of the families really got good at using those and incorporating those devices into their daily life, and um, students made progress over the pandemic while we were shut down. Right, and then... That YouTube channel is something we're going to talk about a little bit more later because it's such a great asset, I think, that you and Janet created. Janet, do you have anything to add? Like I said, it was something that we always wanted to do, and this sort of forced us to step up our timeline. And I think the products, the videos, the implementation videos were so helpful. And I think that parents took a greater interest and investment in these communication devices, which is something, you know, that we have struggled with in the past. So once again, another silver lining, the parents really stepped up to the plate. Kids made a lot of progress. And as we all know, communication happens everywhere. And when you have everyone on board, everyone, you know, doing it together, it really, it really was a beautiful thing. It really was. So I, I think, a lot of kudos to all the 
parents, siblings, and everyone else who stepped up and started modeling that communication at their house. Absolutely. Sarah? Yeah, so as I mentioned before, I mean, it was really quite a trip, particularly for parents of Braille readers. So to use the technology that their child uses, they need to know Braille. And many parents, you know, they don't know the Braille code or they don't use it often enough to be fluent in it. So in some ways, the student served as almost an interpreter between us, the teachers of the visually impaired and their parents, which I have to say, many of the students got quite a kick out of. I bet. Jeanette? Yeah, basically, off of what Sarah was just saying, um, with that Braille technology, uh, even if the parents do know Braille, which sometimes, uh, if you don't use it, you definitely lose it. So it's not something they would use every day, even though they might be able to recognize some, some of the code. Um, but the Braille technology is a whole different thing. And it's, it's hard for me when I use it even every day. It's even hard for the student. And, and the hard thing for our student was she's just learning it. So, and we didn't want that learning to stop. We couldn't afford for that learning to stop. So we would have meetings with, parent, with her parents, uh, with uh, a specialist, our specialist from uh, tech at Oakland Schools, who would at least once a week so graciously meet with us as well, uh, and her TC, sometimes her teacher would join, um, but all of us just probably too many cooks in the kitchen sometimes, but um, when you're working virtual. But she did not just kind of keep up, she definitely beyond our expectations, had learned way more probably, and that's probably one of those silver lining things here. Um, but she learned more because we were able to have that one-on-one -on -one time so specific and, and specified to that equipment. And I think her parents probably learned a ton too. Yeah, excellent. So each of you also shared that you had interesting stories related to delivering these services in person. I think Janet, you even called it parking, parking lot problem solving. Um, Kristen, would you like to share a story related to uh, providing these services to our local students? Sure. Um, one of the things that we put off for a while was um, mounting devices to wheelchairs because um, some of our students are physically impaired. They may be in a wheelchair and they're not going to carry the device around. So we need to have it mounted onto the chair so that they can use it. And we kind of kept putting those off because you have to get really close to the student. The student needs to be in the chair. You have to get real close to them. You're bending over them, um, trying to get everything in the right spot. So we kept putting that off. And then finally, we just, we, when we realized this is going on and on and it's gonna be going on a while, we can't put it off anymore. So one of our districts, um, Bloomfield um, Wing Lake School, put up a big, um, like a tent, like a, um, it's like an awning, right? A big awning. And so we actually, and it was, it was cold. It was November. We all went out into that tent and with the parent, the parent's interpreter, <laughs> myself, the, um, our, our Oakland Schools tech specialist who was gonna do the mounting and the speech pathologist and the teacher, and we were all outside in our coats um, getting that communication system mounted to the, the chair. So, you know, 
you do what you need to do. I was, it was nice that we had that option of being outside and being able to distance and be safe, but um, who would have thought we would be doing that in November <laughs> outside? Um, so that was, that was quite the adventure. Yeah, absolutely. And kudos to the school district for helping to make that happen as well. Janet, do you have a story? I do. Um, it's kind of a story about how things that we sort of take for granted as being kind of a simple thing to do becomes very complicated during a pandemic. Um, I had one school district, Holly, that went back to school sooner than a lot of the other school districts. Um, and so they were open, ready to go. I had a um, young kindergartner who needed to be um, considered for a communication device and we decided to do it in person. Um, the parent wanted to be a part of it. And so I walk into the school, you know, with my mask and all, you know, protected. And then the principal goes around and finds a big giant room and like separates all the chairs so that we're all sitting at least six feet apart. You know, during this time, you're, you're, you're asking questions. You want the student to try some things. And so, you know, it's kind of like, okay, well, there's my iPad and now she's touching it, but she doesn't want to wear a mask because she's just like a little kindergartner and she's pulling it off and stuff. And so I'm wiping it down with my little sanitizing wipes. And, you know, we're trying to communicate with each other about making a decision about what would be best for this young lady. And it just, yeah, it turned into quite a challenge. I mean, we did do it and everybody came out of it safe but it just showed how much difference that made in the things that we think about and the things that we do. And yeah, it, it, was, it was just quite an experience to see the challenge that we had meeting right. in person like that. Right, and I think we have to remember too, even earlier on, we didn't know, you know, what was causing the virus to spread or, you know, was it by touching iPads, mm -hmm. or, you know, so, everything was was scary um, mm -hmm. even as simple as meeting in person and having someone touch an ipad and then giving it to someone else you know so yeah definitely a difficult situation sarah do you have a story to share yeah so the story that sticks out in my head is my colleague was having difficulty implementing this piece of technology for her student and her student needed this new piece of technology for virtual instruction so she asked me to come because I happen to have a lot of experience with that particular piece of technology. But the student is not only visually impaired, but she's deaf as well. So an interpreter also needed to be there. So the information had to start with my colleague and then go to me and then go to the interpreter and then filter to the student. And by the time the information finally got to the poor student, she like had her head down and she was bored out of her mind by waiting for it to filter through like four different people. And this is all while we are trying to be six feet apart from each other and we all have these clear masks on hoping that maybe she's going to be able to see our lips and then the clear masks kept fogging up. And it was definitely an exercise in patience for all of us. Oh my gosh, that's like the ultimate telephone game. Right. <laughs> so there was also a huge emotional toll that came with continuing to work face-to-face -face during this time. 
is many students who are in our special population sector are also more vulnerable to catching viruses like COVID-19. Can you each discuss that component and how it affected you, Kristen? Yeah, so many, many of my students um, are not only physically impaired, but also have a lot of medical challenges, breathing issues, all the types of things that you would worry about that student catching COVID-19. So um, when students started return to school on a limited basis, there were times when I needed to go in and be face-to-face -face with students. And every single time I, I always wore, you know, I always had my mask, all the, all the, you know, safety precautions, but I always thought to myself, I hope I am not the one who gives this student COVID and then they, they have a serious situation. Um, so it, it was always on my mind. I always worried about um, not only, you know, myself and my own family, but, um, but the, the students that we serve um, and, and the, the staff. Like, I don't want to give this to someone and be the one that spread it all over. So it, it was, there was a lot of anxiety about that. Absolutely. Janet? Yes, kind of to build on what Kristen was saying, um, I have a husband who has MS who is very impaired by it and who has a lot of issues with breathing, swallowing, things like that. And so in the same sense as worrying about the students, because at that time, like you said, we didn't know that much about it. All I kept thinking was, gosh, am I going to go into a school and then bring this home to my family? And you know how bad I, I mean, of course you feel horrible. So I always, in my mind was not only worried about protecting the students we serve, but I was worried about protecting my own husband. So it was very emotional. It was a lot of, yeah, a lot of moments where it was scary, very scary. Absolutely, Sarah. So I guess when I think about this question, what comes to my mind is, um, the birth to three population was really, I mean, everybody was affected, but it really had broke my heart because those babies, typically if they're born blind, it's not just blindness, it's usually something else. And they're so medically fragile. And we, we always go to the home to work with the babies and the family. So because those babies are so medically fragile and they're so little, going into the home was just not something those parents were willing to do to put their children at risk. So then you think of those parents and they're so isolated there at home and they don't want to go out because they don't want to get exposed and they don't want to bring it home to their babies. So we would then be Zooming with them and they, they wanted that support and they wanted that information. But then at the same time, you're asking them to open up a computer or an iPad and try to listen to you when they have a crying baby or a, one crawling around in the background and you're just thinking, I wish I could be there, you know, to be an extra set of hands for you and help you through this process. It was, um, that part felt really emotional. Absolutely, Jeanette. Um, I think, you know, at first it was it just kind of, there was a lot of fear at first and we didn't know what was going on. And uh, just the challenge uh, with wanting to make sure that my student was going to be successful and having to figure out how that would possibly happen. It was a lot of trial and error. And uh, a little bit later, as we came back to work uh, and the students were still at home, 
uh, we were able to have our student, uh, my student was able to come in. And she was the only one that would come into school. And so really, uh, like everyone else was saying, I was the only person that she was with outside of her family. So that was very stressful because I have teenagers at home who I was, they were staying home, but kind of, you know, venturing a little bit too. So that was just really scary. I didn't want to be responsible for that, for any, any part of her getting sick or anything happening to her family. Her grandmother was with her a lot um, because she was home and her parents would have to work. So that was stressful. So her being in the building here without being around anybody else, just being around us, and then being worried about my own family, just having that stress that we all had and that fear and I feel like I'm ultra, I'm probably still ultra emotional um, just because I think something broke. I don't know what happened, but uh, <laughs> it just has, has led us to be um, much more sensitive to things, I think. So. Absolutely. I mean, all those stories are just, they're heartbreaking. I can't imagine how difficult that must have been for each one of you and everyone that was out in the field like that during this time. I mean, kudos to you for, for still going out and doing all of that. Um, I would like to end the podcast on an uplifting note um, because there are a lot of positives that actually came from having to figure out how to continue to teach in person during this time. What are some of the things that you feel like you know you were able to accomplish or that came about as better for the future moving forward in, in how you educate your students? Kristen? Well, um, we talked a little bit about the YouTube channel earlier, but um, one of the things that I know I always wanted and it became more of a necessity um, in general for everyone is to have a way to, if, if something was going wrong with the technology or I didn't know much about it, um, that I would have an on-demand resource that I could just pull up on my phone and fix my own problems. And so um, we were able to expand. We started before the pandemic with making instructional and informational videos about communication um, systems and, and communication apps and how to use an iPad for communication. But we really expanded it over that time because we had so many families at home who needed that. And um, I learned to do it. My son is a film student, so I learned from him. And then Janet and I and um, Robin and our material center all worked together and started making more videos. And um, so now we have this lasting resource that's always there uh, for people to grab. They don't have to wait for a workshop to come. They can, they can get it right now when they need it. Um, so we're really proud of that and um, excited to continue uh, and move forward with that. Excellent, Janet. Yes, uh, once again, just to kind of build on that, um, I worked very closely for years and years with our material center and Robin, who is um, one of our co-workers, to create paper-based technology supports. And that was really all I knew. Maybe I'm aging myself by saying this, but that's where I thought would be the best way, something we could send out when someone asked a question. And then when Kristen joined us, she taught me how to make videos and she taught me all these cool things and it was really exciting. So we took those paper-based things that we already had created and were able to transfer them into a video format, which 
to me was just amazing. I'm so very proud of all the work we've done. And so now people who like to read it can have the paper-based support and people who like to watch it can have the videos. So um, I think that's one of the really positive things that happened for me was I learned how to do a lot of things that I didn't know how to do before. And I have my wonderful coworker here, Kristen, to uh, thank for that. And so it really stepped up my game in ways that I know that I will carry on even after the pandemic is hopefully behind us. Right. Yeah, I think a lot of times you might focus on, you know, how has the education improved or all of that, but, you know, personally, it could have changed some things for the better for each of us, like you said, in terms of learning more for ourselves as well. So that's an interesting perspective. Sarah? Yes, yeah, so I think the, the biggest thing that stands out to me as a positive was um, parent connection. So parents were able to see, like, for the first time, what their child was learning firsthand and what they're actually capable of. I mean, how many times does a parent get to see their child at school repeatedly? So this was, um, this was cool, I think, for a lot of parents. And, you know, they have to work, but when they could be involved, they were able to sit next to their child, watch them learn, and see the process. And so especially if you're something very specialized with, like, Braille instruction or the technology, they were able to sit, watch the process repeatedly, and it got them to a level where they actually knew it and could support it better. So then the parents were then supporting on the evenings and the weekends. And it, I felt like it developed a whole nother level of learning for the child now that their parent knew the process. Absolutely. And then that only helps everyone moving forward then too, whether there's a pandemic or not, just to have the parents more involved. Uh, Jeanette? I, I agree 100% with Sarah, what she was just saying about uh, the parents, because before, uh, I think that our students would go to school, they would learn, um, even separate from how they're learning in the classroom a lot of times, especially with our blind students, because they're using different manipulatives and different ways of learning. So the, the parents really didn't have any idea. And we couldn't really send a lot of work home because when we wanted the students to do any kind of homework, they didn't have a lot of help because the verbiage is different uh, that we might use or just all the materials are different. Um, so now that's a really nice thing that when we talk about certain things, uh, certain materials that the student's using, the parent can be on board. If we wanna send some homework home, they can be on board with knowing exactly what materials to use and the verbiage to use as well. And one more thing, it made my student 100% more independent. So she needed to, uh, because again, like Sarah was saying, she was teaching her parents a lot. And so I think it made her feel more independent and she just has a lot more self-confidence. Excellent. Those are amazing changes and I'm sure very helpful to our special populations community. One last thing I want to touch on before we go is I heard about these playground communication boards that are now up all over Oakland County. Kristen or Janet, I think this is your area. Um, can you talk about what those are, how the public can purchase them, and give us a couple of locations where families can check them out? I can. Um, just to kind of explain, because not showing it, a communication board is a board that uses symbols or pictures and children can 
either point to the symbols, they can gaze at the symbols, um, they can gesture to let other people know what they want to say. And we use these all the time in a low, no tech format, you know, around um, our students, maybe if their communication device breaks down, things like that. So what came out was that students out on the playground, a lot of them were not taking their iPad because they're running around and they're playing. And I had a um, request from one of our local districts. They were going to have some grants and they were talking about getting communication boards in a larger size so that they could be put out on their playground. And some of the um, companies that create communication apps and devices were doing some of these things. And so I worked with our printing and graphics department. We created a communication board and they sort of took over the piece of like, what kind of material could we put this on so that it would be able to go out on a playground and not get destroyed, of course. You know, we talked about how could it be mounted, whether it would be like a banner or, or, or a sign. And our printing and graphics department worked with me. I created the, the PDF for this board, and then they took it, blew it up, put it on a weatherproof type of material. So that, and they went and even went so far as to create ways for it to be mounted so that anyone who purchased one had different options for mounting it. They really just stepped up and did a beautiful, beautiful job. And now they're available for sale. And there are different options. Like I said, you can have just one-sided, two-sided, different mounting options. So the cost varies depending on what people want to purchase. And it can be ordered through our printing and graphics department. They have, uh, like I said, all these options for how you want it mounted. And it's really, if you take a look at it on their uh, webpage, it's very, very nice to be able to see it. But also we do have them all around the county. And the ones that really stick out for me are, there's one in Waterford, Hess Hathaway Park, where they have a, a all kids playground. So it's an accessible playground for kids in wheelchairs, or, you know, whatever, and they actually, the Waterford Parks and Recreation and a local family donated the money to put one of these at that park. And then also um, one of our local districts has one at uh, Simons Elementary in Madison Heights that can be looked at. And I believe South Lyon also has one. And so it's just such a cool thing because our kids can then communicate what they want to play on, whether they need help whether they like this or don't like it. And then the kids who are playing on the playground with them can also communicate back with them by using this board. So it's really, really a very cool thing. Yeah, it's something that you don't often think about is that students need a way to communicate when they play. So when I read about these boards, I just, I thought it was something everyone should know about. And in our show notes, I will provide the web address for our Oakland Schools print shop so if there's a local district or local person who wants to contribute a board to a playground, they'll have that information. And just to add real quick, I will also put in our show notes the web address for your YouTube channel, Janet and Kristen, so that our listeners can engage with the information on there if they would like to. So thank you to each of you for being on the podcast. You are all just absolute heroes for your dedication during these trying times. 
and I hope it only gets easier from here. This podcast was brought to you by Oakland Schools Intermediate School District's Communication Services and is produced by Media Production and Distance Learning Manager Mark Hansen. Oakland Schools is a regional service agency in Oakland County, Michigan that offers support services to school personnel, which are better delivered regionally and provide cost, size, and quality advantages to those we serve. I have been your host for this podcast, Sarah Davis, and you can find this in future episodes of Educationally Speaking on our Oakland Schools website at oakland.k12.mi.us slash podcast and Anchor FM. We hope you will join us for our next episode where we will continue to bring you topics that affect every student every day.